The pandemic threw a curveball at the entire planet. But vaccines, for those fortunate enough to get them, have been a home run. And that means players and fans are back in the stands. We'll ask whether baseball might be a sign of better times here in California. Welcome to California State of Mind from Cal Matters and Cap Radio. I'm Elizabeth Aguilera in Los Angeles. And I'm Nicole Nixon in Sacramento. Nicole, there was big news this week from Sacramento, where you are. Plans to fully reopen the state on June 15th. That means all businesses, everyone can go back to 100% capacity, take people indoors, welcome everybody in. There's a lot of buzz about this, even though we do still have to wear masks. (laughs) But I think people are getting excited about the summer. Yeah, I mean, for me, this announcement feels different. And maybe it's because I am one of the people that's fortunate enough to have already gotten the vaccine. It just feels surreal to be making plans to travel and get together with my family this summer. I have this huge blended family, so it's been out of the question for us to get everyone together for more than a year now. Uh, What do you think? I'm a little bit more proceed with caution, so I'm waiting to see what will actually happen (laughs) because the reopening does depend on the number of cases the state is having and what things look like in your county. So while we're still seeing some surges across the country and people are questioning whether that might happen here, but it is nice to have some sort of a date in mind to look forward to. Right. Well, you mentioned surges across the country. I I talked with two health experts to see what they think of this plan to reopen. Um, Two doctors at UC San Francisco They were both very optimistic about this. Uh, Even though I asked about the surges, you know, places like Michigan, they mentioned that those are largely surges in people who haven't been vaccinated and that there is a very large prevalence of this more infectious UK variant, which we're not seeing in as high numbers here. So, yeah, that kind of surprised me how optimistic they were about this and just Uh, that the vaccine has just been so remarkably effective. Well, that's great to hear because I think most everyone has pandemic fatigue and needs some hope or some light at the end of the tunnel, right, to think about all of the things that you're talking about, like travel or getting even just getting together with family in their own city that they haven't seen or have only seen from far away. So we'll keep our fingers crossed for that date. Absolutely. And Elizabeth, I am not normally one who pays attention to the onset of baseball season. (laughs) But this year, it seems like anything that is any sign of a return to some sort of normalcy has taken on this new and deep meaning, including Oakland A's baseball. Letting the Astros know how they feel about them. And on the first pitch of the game, Altuve hits a fly ball to center field. And that is how this 2021 season gets underway. Well, I have to make a plug for the Los Angeles Dodgers here. (laughs) But yep, America's pastime returned a few days ago, just as policymakers at almost every level of government started talking about a full post-pandemic reopening. For some more perspective on the meaning of opening day and the call to play ball, both inside the stadium and outside in vaccine lineups, let's bring into this conversation Scott Rod, Cap Radio's ace government reporter. Nice to have you back. Glad to be here. And we're also joined by Cal Matters photo editor Ann Wernikoff. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. 
So this show is called California State of Mind, and most of the time we're talking about politics and policy and some of the tougher things in life. But our state of mind here isn't just about that stuff. So we're having you both on to talk about the Oakland Coliseum and the games you saw there in the past week. Scott, how was it? Uh, It was great. It was kind of surreal. I'm a baseball fan myself, so, you know, I I loved being at the stadium. I hadn't been to a game in over a year, so I know I was enjoying it, and certainly the folks that were there in attendance were enjoying it just as much, if not more. You know, being at the game, uh, smelling the brats, you know, hearing the announcers, being able to either cheer for your favorite uh, player or heckle your least favorite player, there was a kind of electricity there. Batting fifth at third base. Anne, are you a fan? How was it for you? I am, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not huge into baseball, but um, I definitely grew up watching the Red Sox, and I appreciate being able to go to the stadium and just being in that space. Like, fandom is a really special thing. Everyone was just happy to be back amongst the other fans and all together and having this uh, collective experience. That was something that they really missed. So we were talking earlier with Elizabeth about the governor's announcement that California will be fully open for business on June 15th. Scott, it seems maybe this game was a harbinger of things to come then? I think you could say that, yeah. I I think people are starting to get more and more comfortable with being, uh, you know, around other people in social settings as vaccinations increase, as cases continue to decline. When I was there, you know, I asked people, how are you feeling? Are are you concerned or did you have any trepidation coming out to the games? And they said, you know, we we feel pretty good. They they felt that the athletics had done a good job with, you know, enforcing mask mandates, social distancing and having other things as well that uh, prevented kind of common exchanges at a ball game, such as if you wanted food, you ordered it ahead of time and then you went and picked it up at the concession stand so that you didn't have to have, you know, sort of exchanges with folks in line or at the cash register. Um, and so I think it's fair to say that, yeah, this this seems to be maybe a harbinger for hopefully what's to come uh, midsummer. Mm-hmm. And we don't have a lot of photographers on the show because radio, but you wrote this wonderful story to go along with your photographs. What was it like for you being at the game? What was it like to be in this public place after a year of quarantine and lockdown? For me, I think it was a somewhat different experience than for many of the people there because, you know, I've been out and about this entire year. Um, I have been to protests. I've been in the state capitol. I've, you know, I've been in other spaces where there have been a fair number of people. Although, of course, it was nothing like a baseball stadium. So that was definitely um, kind of new. And, you know, the folks that I spoke to when they were there, really everyone felt very safe and very comfortable. And it was outdoors. So they did a pretty good job. Scott, back to you. As you looked around and talked with people inside the stadium, what stood out for you in that experience? I spoke to a a fan named Tim Sullivan, and and he said something that I thought was really interesting. Um, I asked him, what's something that surprised you coming back? And he said, everyone seems to be really nice to each other. Hmm. 
even fans from the opposite teams. Um, and, you know, we had two California teams playing that night, the Los Angeles Dodgers and the Athletics. So there's a little bit of friction there. But he said, you know, people are just so glad to be back out, to be at the game. There wasn't that same kind of um, maybe abrasiveness that you would expect at a ball game, you know, pre-pandemic. He just said everyone was very friendly to each other because I think everyone was just so glad that they were out of the house, that they were at a ball game, that they were seeing players on the field. So, Anne, you have just some fantastic photos from this game. The one that really struck me is this one that you shot from above a seating section and the viewer sees just a whole lot of empty seats. What brought you to that shot? Well, you know, they were operating at um, about 25% capacity. And it was really important for me to show that, you know, the stadium was open, there were fans there, but this did not look the way that games looked before the pandemic. Not every single game is sold out, of course, but you don't expect to see that many empty seats, especially not on opening day of the season. Something that I noticed was that as I was walking through the pathways um, and looking up, the seating actually looked much fuller. And so the only way that I could really demonstrate really how empty the stadium was, was to look at it from above and you could see all of the seats in the rows in between the different groupings of people. What was there another scene that caught your eye and you said, I have to get a shot of that? And then how did you get it? Oh, that's a good question. Um, you know, actually, some of the favorite scenes that I got were before the game even started. It was out in the parking lot. I actually didn't end up publishing this photo in the end, but it was one that I really like, uh, which was a boy who was standing in the back of his dad's pickup truck. And he had on a baseball mitt and he was pretending to wind up pitches and just like practicing the motion of pitching, even though he didn't have a ball in his hand. Um, and I was immediately very drawn to this. So, you know, I went over and I spoke to him and his father for a little bit. And, you know, what his dad told me really stuck with me was that he had been bringing his son to games since his, his son was 10 months old. Um, the son was 10 now. And that they'd always been season ticket holders and that he hadn't realized how much he missed coming to these games and how important it was as bonding time for him and his son until they couldn't do it anymore. I really loved that. And I felt like it was a very good encapsulation of how a lot of people felt that day, that being able to go to games is such a, a meaningful way to connect with other people. And it was something that folks really, really missed. You're not a photographer, but you're still a professional observer. Are there any specific scenes that caught your eye that night, um, either signaling a return to normalcy or the opposite that no, nothing is normal still? Um, I'm going to give a, an example of a moment that was also before the games. Similar to Anne, I was walking through the parking lot. I wanted to get a feel for what it was like leading up to the game and saw some guys who were, uh, you know, sitting, also having a beer, you know, sitting on folding chairs. And I went up and talked to them and, and they said, you know, we brought, a, we brought a grill. We thought we were going to be able to fire it up and tailgate, but they said we can't do that. But it's all good. We're, we're just here having a good time. And, and to me, it just sort of reflected you know, over the last year, if we've learned one thing, it's to roll with the punches. It's to, you know, things are going to get thrown at you and you just sort of have to adapt. And these guys, 
they were still having a great time. For sure. Well, the Oakland Coliseum is interesting because there's baseball inside now, but they're still doing vaccinations in the parking lot. Were there any signs of that going on while either of you were at the game? Anne, I see you nodding. They had it separated so that the folks coming in for vaccines were on one side and then the folks coming in for the game were on the other side. So there really wasn't too much interaction going on. But it was interesting knowing that that was going on. You know, if you walked over to kind of the side of the stadium, you could see the the vaccination tents in the back. And it was just this very interesting kind of juxtaposition of we have this game and this sort of return to normalcy going on on this side. And then we still have this very active effort to try to get everyone to the point where they can begin to do these quote unquote normal things again happening at the same time. Um, And the vaccine site goes until 7 p.m., if I'm not mistaken. And that was right when the first pitch was. And so it was kind of interesting to know that those were really happening at the exact same time. Yeah. Well, Scott, what do you think the return to baseball means for politicians in the state who are still trying to balance pandemic fatigue with this ongoing need for caution as we reopen? Again, as Ann and I observed, it seemed pretty safe. You know, outdoor activities, especially if done with the right precautions, you know, can be pretty safe, especially as more and more people get vaccinated. So, you know, while I think there is this delicate balancing act for politicians who want to make sure that we open responsibly and safely, baseball and other events or sports like it could be a kind of pressure release valve where it seems like it's a pretty safe calculation in the way that they're doing it. And this could help ease us into a more broader reopening like the one Newsom announced coming in mid-summer. And so I think it could be beneficial as, as people sort of just ease back into things. Scott Rod, reporter with Cap Radio, and Ann Wernikoff, photo editor for Cal Matters. Thanks so much for joining us, both of you. Thank you. Thank you so much. So, Elizabeth, after we stopped the tape on this interview, we were all chatting, and Anne said something that really struck me. She started talking about what a relief it was to go out and photograph happy people after a year of photographing grief and hardship. She looked through her viewfinder outside the baseball stadium there, and she found joy. That's pretty incredible to hear. I can only imagine what that actually feels like. You know, I think a lot of people hadn't thought about what it was like last year until now. I've had some conversations with friends about marking the one year of the pandemic and how it really brought a lot of reflection on how hard it actually was, because I think we were all just powering through. You know, you're looking ahead to the next month or the next announcement, or maybe by this time we can do this, maybe by next time. I know our bosses here at Cal Matters talked about possibly at Christmas, which of course didn't happen, <laughs> and now again are saying the same thing, possibly at Christmas we can all get together and have a celebration. Just the idea of things starting to get better now is allowing people to feel all the feelings. Mm -hmm. Coming up, more than 9,000 nursing home residents have died of COVID-19 in California. But problems existed long before the pandemic and only got worse during it. We'll hear the results of a CalMatters investigation. Stay tuned for more California State of Mind.
It's California State of Mind from TAP Radio and Cal Matters. I'm Nicole Nixon. And I'm Elizabeth Aguilera. Nursing homes have been some of the hardest hit during the pandemic. Here in California, state records show that thousands of nursing home residents have died of the virus. As the pandemic has worn on, that's led to increased scrutiny of these homes and how they're managed. We're going to talk a little more about this with CalMatters' Jocelyn Weiner. Jocelyn spent a few months looking into this. Jocelyn, welcome to California State of Mind. Thanks for having me. So, Jocelyn, you spent a significant amount of time digging through data and documentation on the state's largest nursing home owner and his companies. Can you lay out for me what you found? So back in 2014, Shlomo Rechnitz's companies purchased 18 country villa homes through uh, bankruptcy court proceedings, and they then submitted applications for licenses with the state Department of Public Health. And to this day, the applications remain in pending status. And so what our investigation showed was basically that the process for licensing nursing homes in California is opaque and confusing and rife with delays. And just to clarify, Jocelyn, you mentioned that this is particularly about the 18 homes that were acquired in bankruptcy court, but this company and this person own many more homes in California, right? They're the largest nursing home owner? Yes. From what we could tell, he's associated with 81 different homes in the state. Wow. Well, so it seems like having a license to operate nursing homes would be a no-brainer because of what these places do and who they care for, some of the most vulnerable in our society, elderly folks. How are companies able to purchase these places without having a license to operate first? So the way this law is currently structured allows people to purchase homes and then submit the paperwork for a license afterward. And um, there are advocates who would like to see that change, but right now it is legal to do that. So someone, a previous owner can't transfer a license to you. You have to then go out and get it yourself, technically. Yes. However, in the case of these homes, the the companies that purchase them are just operating on the old licenses. So the license hasn't transferred, but they're still able to run them without having a license in their name. We're talking about the state that licenses all kinds of businesses, right, including nursing homes. What is California's role in the nursing home license issue? And just to be clear, can you talk about whether this is a failure on the part of the California Department of Public Health because they are the agency reviewing these applications? Yes. So obviously having a license is important because you need a license to drive a car, you need a license to sell alcohol. You need to be able to show that you not only have something, but that you can operate it safely and competently. Um, And so the state has lots of roles in overseeing nursing homes. They inspect them regularly, issue fines and penalties if they see problems, and they decide whether new owners are qualified to run them. They say that when they do licensing, they do it on a case-by-case basis. So they look at the owner's track record, but then they look at other issues like, is the home new? Is it in a place that has a high need for more nursing home beds? But advocates would definitely say this is a failure by the state. And the state auditor um, has looked at this issue in the last couple of years and also been critical. 
And Jocelyn, is this a larger problem in California or is it isolated to these 18 homes? Like, are these the only homes that are sort of in this weird purgatory status or does it usually take years to get a license to operate a nursing home? What is the problem here? Yeah, so these are clear outliers, these 18 homes. Most homes don't have these kinds of delays, but there are a handful of others that have been left, not just pending, but have actually been denied. And then the people or companies who have been denied continue to operate them anyway, despite the denial. So Recknitz's companies have five homes like this. And there's another owner, Crystal Solorzano, uh, who KPCC just did a big piece on. That's also linked to quite a few more. I did hear an interview with the reporters who did that piece at KPCC this week also, and it sounds super familiar to the story that you put together with a lot of the same questions about the state's role. I'm curious about the elderly folks who live in these specific homes. Have you heard from them about what it's like inside the facilities or some of the challenges or maybe from advocates, you know, what they say about what life is like there? Yeah, so I did talk to several people, and I think that the inspection reports themselves tell some pretty compelling stories. In one of the facilities that I read about that's pending was fined $20,000 in August after inspectors found that staff had failed to intervene and help a resident who needed help with eating and drinking. That resident um, then had severe malnutrition, dehydration, sepsis, and eventually died. And then in one of the um, facilities I wrote about that had actually been denied but was still being operated, I found one of their inspection reports really compelling because they were describing a resident found sitting in a wheelchair with urine and feces running down her legs. And she told the inspectors that she got upset because she had to wait so long wearing a soiled brief. And their quote um, was, tears were running down her face as she spoke just to see that kind of humanity coming through these documents that are, you know, in some ways very technical, I found very compelling. Oh, and then as for advocates, I mean, they're obviously not happy about this, that there's kind of a big push to um, see some reform right now, especially given that the pandemic has laid bare so many of these problems in nursing homes. I want to talk about the state a little bit more because in your story, you outline very specifically how you were rebuffed by state officials from Governor Newsom's office on down to public health. What is the deal there? Shouldn't the state be answering public concerns about this process that essentially leaves our seniors vulnerable? Yeah, I think they should. And I hope that at some point they will. I mean, they did respond to our PRA. It took months, but we did get documents, which was very helpful. And then as far as questions, they would never put anybody on the phone with us. And we tried very hard to get them to put someone on the phone with us. But um, they did send us answers via email. But this system is so complicated and in some ways feels like it really doesn't make sense that we really wanted to be able to actually speak with someone and, and sort of go back and forth. And that never happened. So, Jocelyn, what happens next? Are there solutions on the horizon or, you know, is this something the state could blame on the pandemic? Although from your story, it was going on for years before COVID-19, right? Yes, this is definitely an open secret. I mean, 
nursing homes in general, a lot of them have a lot of problems and these homes were no exception. Um, and so, yes, I would say that this, you know, the pandemic in so many arenas has sort of laid bare existing failures and inequities and nursing homes are definitely one of those areas. And so um, right now there is a package of seven nursing home bills that's in play, although the legislation that or, or the bill that was supposed to address this licensing issue specifically, uh, I've been told has been stalled until at least next year. So for now, things remain the same. Yeah, I mean, for now, at least as far as the licensing process, there I, I haven't heard of any movement, but we'll see. We'll keep following the story and hopefully maybe see some change at some point. Jocelyn Weiner writes about health and mental health for CalMatters. Jocelyn, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. Nicole, one thing that stood out to me in my conversation with Jocelyn is that Vice President Kamala Harris, when she was the state attorney general, tried to stop this particular owner and his companies from buying many of these nursing homes. But the court went ahead and allowed it. And it really raises questions about what chance seniors have who depend on the state to provide some kind of protection. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this was a really extraordinary investigation from CalMatters, and I'm sure this won't be the last we'll hear about it. And that's California State of Mind for this week. Next time, California's Supreme Court ruled recently that it's unconstitutional to toss people in jail just because they can't afford to post bail while they wait for their case to go to court. State Senate Majority Leader Bob Hertzberg has been fighting against cash bail for years. We'll talk with the San Fernando Democrat about what comes next. Thanks for joining us. Nicole, have a great week. You too, Elizabeth. California State of Mind is a collaboration of Cal Matters and Cap Radio. It's edited by Tess Figland and produced by Jen Picard. Sally Schilling is our executive producer. Devin Cortan is the technical director. Chris Hagen is our digital editor. Margarita Noriega and Chris Bruno are masters of marketing. Our social media is run by Emmy Gilbert and Courtney Fong. Nick Miller is editor at Cap Radio and Joe Barr is our chief of content. Dave Lesher is editor at Cal Matters. Our theme song is Melifera Ligustica by Isaac Joel. Make sure you don't miss any episodes. Hit that subscribe button. It's free and you'll get notified every Friday of a new episode. That's all for now. Thanks for listening to California State of Mind. Support for California State of Mind comes in part from Sierra Nevada Brewing Company and from Sutter Health. Sutter Health.